Hi, I'm Fred Schonenberg, and thank you for joining me on the Venture Fuel podcast. At Venture Fuel, we help companies find new solutions by partnering with the best startups from around the world. On the show, you'll learn the secrets of business leaders who tap into startups and the founders driving extraordinary results. We'll consider new ideas, stretch our mindsets beyond the status quo, and in the process, discover how to leap the competition and fuel personal growth. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Venture Fuel Visionaries podcast. I'm your host, Fred Schonenberg. Today's episode features a keynote from Sally Krawcheck, who is the co-founder and CEO of Elevest, a financial company built by women for women to reach their financial goals. Sally is one of the highest ranked women ever to have worked on Wall Street. Having held posts such as CEO of Smith Barney, CEO of Merrill Lynch Wealth Management, and CFO of Citigroup. She's one of the most read influencers on LinkedIn, has been profiled as one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, as well as in the Wall Street Journal, Fortune, Forbes, and more. Elevest has a community now of more than 3 million people. They raised a $53 million Series B funding round and have over $1.5 billion in assets under management. This was recorded as her keynote at our Rogue Women event series, uh, which is produced with our friend and partner at the Rogue Women's Fund, Caroline Lewis. Please enjoy these words from Sally. And now I have the pleasure um, to interest, introduce Sally Krawcheck. You know, it was really interesting. I was looking at, like, you can, you, she has a Wikipedia page, so you can just, like, <laughs> Wikipedia, most influential woman in finance, you know, ran multiple companies, CEO of Elevest. But I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll introduce kind of why I was really inspired by Sally and also why it's a privilege to be an investor in Elevest. So I've been tracking Elevest for a while, and I just, from the beginning, always thought it was brilliant to have a financial service firm really dedicated to the unique nuances of what women face along their their challenge in building of their own financial wealth, all the way from the very beginning of what do I do in financial wealth, where do I put my money, all the way through kind of a specific algorithm that helps them understand, you know, the whole, like, you're going to retire at 16, you're a dude, which is the typical algorithm, you know, when you go into Fidelity and you get your, like, risk score, that's what they're basing it on. Well, it's a little bit different for women. And something I really love about LFS is that they factor that in and they really speak kind of to their customer in a way that really resonates. And so when I heard that LFS was raising their Series B, I cold outreach Sally and Sylvie and was like, hey... I'm this small investor. I run Rogue Women's Fund. This is what we do. But I'm absolutely obsessed with what you guys built, and I want to be part of it. And they were great. They got on the phone right away. We're like, you know, tell us a little bit more about what you do and what you're thinking. And then they're like, you know what? We were gonna we were gonna offer some of this allocation to another group, but if you want it, because I was gonna, I shared it with um, other women GPs, so general partners of funds. Um, and essentially no carry, no fee situation so that other women GPs could share in the success of Elevest. And part of that, they're like, we love that aspect. And there are some other GPs doing that. And their series B ended up coming together. Of course, you know, big name investors who led it and put a big chunk of money, but also there's a large kind of groundswell of us GPs that pulled together other investors and came in. So we're all part of the Elevest journey. And from the beginning, every time I see Sally talk and I think about authenticity and I think about what it means to really be yourself and find your success, I think of Sally. I think of like just this bold face, I don't give a fuck, I'm going to go after it. <laughs> Not that you say, I said it for you. Um, <laughs> 
She's very calculated. She's much more polished than that. But um, um, I just, it always inspired me. So in those moments where I'm kind of feeling like, oh man, should I, you know, do that deal because all the right people are in the deal or I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I anchor in people like Sally, like other women around me and think, no, I just want to be myself and I want to do and trust myself and my gut and go after what I believe in, even if it's really hard, even the path ahead is really challenging. I ultimately believe that I'm going to be successful because I'm staying true to who I am. And Sally is definitely a representation of that. So I'm really honored to have her come up here and be our keynote and give us a few words of wisdom today. Well, good morning, everybody. How are y'all? I'm so glad to be out of my apartment. And <laughs> I cannot tell you this is, I may get a little dizzy being around so many people. Um, but this the, the support of women reaching out to us in our last raise is how Elevest overcame the one in 10,000 odds of a woman fintech CEO raising a Series B round. We had a one in 10,000 chance of raising that round. And since we were funded, we have about a one in a million chance of getting to where we are. Think about it. Can you think of another woman CEO of a fintech company that reached size. I can think of a couple, but most people can't think of any. And this is super important because that's where the innovation is happening in financial services. And financial services is the lifeblood of the economy and it, it's what drives wealth. So our goal at Elevest, Elevest, we are the expert in women's wealth. We were funded by, founded by, built by, built for, investing in, investing through women, with the view being that we can't think of anything bad that happens when women have more money. If y'all can, just shout it out. <laughs> what horrible things happen when women have more money? Exactly. And while we pay a lot of attention to the gender pay gap, that 80 cents that women earn to a white man's dollar, the gender wealth gap, it's 30 cents, and for black women, it's a penny and it's been going in the wrong direction. And so as we look at this, if we can help individual women build their wealth, often through investing, we'll talk about that in a little bit, it is better for them because money is our number one source of stress. No surprise there since we don't have as much as the guys do. <laughs> Taking action is the number one driver of our confidence in our future. And at a macro level, again, if women have more money, only good things happen for everybody, for ourselves. We're able to leave the crappy job. We're able to leave the crappy relationship. We're able to start the business, buy the beach house. Think of all the women you know, just in your family, who are stuck in tough relationships because they don't have the money to leave. So it's good for us. It's good for our daughters to see us with money. It's good for our sons to see us with money. It's good for our partners. It's good for the economy because we spend some of that money. It's good for markets because we invest some of that money. It's good for nonprofits because we give away a larger percent of our wealth. It's good for the friggin' climate because women are more likely to believe in the negative effects of climate change and donate in order to um, ameliorate it. And in fact, if women had as much money as men, I think we can all imagine government would be different because is it a coincidence that if we have 30 cents to a white man's dollar, that we give 30 cents of political donations to a white man's dollar. If we can get women more economic power, we change the world. So that's why we're doing this at Elevest. 
uh, which is a tremendous responsibility, um, I have to tell you. So, but I did do my homework. I've really tried to think about this authenticity question. I'm not particularly introspective, but I did give it a little bit of thought yesterday and wanted to share maybe, you know, a little bit of the story and maybe help with a little bit of, of career advice, which is I started my career on Wall Street in the late 1980s, um, coming out of North Carolina by way of South Carolina. By the way, when I went to North Carolina, I thought I was going north. Um, <laughs> and only moved to New York because my father forbid me. Went to the toughest of the investment banks, the no longer in existence Solomon Brothers, where when I started my job, they were kind enough to put, there was no unsubtle bias or unconscious bias. It was very conscious and it was very unsubtle. <laughs> they were kind enough to put Xerox copies of their genitals on my desk pretty much every day, which is a very odd, like, I'm like, what is that? Oh, what is that? What is that small thing on my desk? But it, there was nothing subtle. And, and at the age of 26, I looked up and realized I was the senior woman in the, at the time, London Investment Bank. And I thought, that feels hard to get from here to there. I switched over into research, which was the smartest move of my life. Uh, but, and this I was remembering last night, it, it sort of brought me to tears. I, uh, you know, as part of research, you obviously did, you know, you did the work and you did the analysis and you wrote it up. And in the morning, you would show up every morning at 7.30, and there was a morning meeting, and I'd go to the microphone and share whatever your call was for the day. And I was in my 20s, and I was shy, and I was trying my best. And I remember making a call, which actually turned out to be, if I could, a brilliant stock call, as it turned out. Looking at the trading floor, losing my spit, unable to breathe because I was hyperventilating, and looked over, and the senior analyst was doing this. Oh, oh, and he sat at the front of the room. So as I was speaking, the entire room could see it. And I don't know if he didn't care for me because he thought my call was wrong, even though it was right. If he didn't, if he didn't like Southerners, if he didn't like women, if I looked a little too junior league at the time, I don't know what it was, but I recognize this was a huge boulder in my way to have the senior most respected analyst who had dismissed me with contempt. And I thought, I'm not, you know, I'm not being run out of here. So how can I work to be successful? And the answer was, I'm not going to do what everybody else does. Because what everybody else does has led us to no women at the top of Wall Street, no women at the top of the research department, no women at the top of investment banking. So if I write up the quarter, you know, XYZ company reported earnings. They were two cents ahead of plan. The miss was blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, fucking big calls on big stocks. And I will not speak unless I have something big to say. And I will make big calls on big stocks. And that's what I did. In a time of the time, and for those of you who are a little older, you may remember as I do, as a research analyst in that day, you had to be positive. That was the name of the game, the first internet bubble. Yeah, everybody was positive, so I went negative. And I was the only analyst on the street that had cells at a time when that was essentially viewed as a fireable offense, and I was right. When I took over the research department um, as director of research, 
Every research department out there was, had their analysts do investment banking and research. And I said, we're going to give up millions of dollars in revenue, and we're going to do research only because there's an inherent conflict. I won't go into it. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but there's an inherent conflict. We were wrong. We were losing analysts. We were about headed out of business. And then the internet bubble burst. The tide went out. You could see who was swimming naked. And I was on the cover of the Fortune magazine as the last honest analyst. Big calls on big stocks, right? The business did this. The business did this, and then Sandy Weil called me and said, I know you're running like 286 people and you're like 30-nothing, but would you come over and run 45,000 people and turn around our research business and run Smith Barney? And I said, you're damn straight, I will. Actually, actually, I did not. I said that, <laughs> actually, he lowballed me, and I said, I need you to double the offer, which he did, and then I went over. But that was sort of my career. I could go through a couple of other stories for you, um, such as Smith Barney. I was the, during the financial crisis of 07, 08, I was the only senior executive on Wall Street who partially reimbursed clients for losses because we had made mistakes, um, which we shouldn't have made. I lost my job for it. Um, but that brought me to Elevest. And at Elevest, I was, ta I was taking a little enforced career break after standing up for my values. And one morning was putting on my mascara, getting ready, and trying to think about what's my next step, where do I go next? And have you all ever had this thing where you're like, I'm about to have a huge idea? I don't know what it is, but everything sort of started to shake a little bit. And I'm like, I'm about to have a big one. Only happened three times in my life. And kaboom, like lightning, the thought I had, I'm making it sound, you're going to be disappointed because it's not that sexy. <laughs> but... The thought I had is the retirement savings shortfall is a woman's crisis. That we are under, we don't talk about it maybe because it is a woman's crisis, uh, but that women today, 80% of us die single, 90% of us manage our money on our own at some point in our lives, whether we want to or not. We live six to eight years longer than the men in our lives. Obviously half of marriages or so into divorce. Mo the vast majority of women still today, even young women, having received the message that society sends us, that we're not good at math, we're not good at investing, we're risk averse, we need more financial education, we, we shouldn't invest till we're ready to get A pluses in investing because that's how we've been socialized, we have to be really perfect at everything, right? Having, social, having been socialized with those messages, we outsource the money to him. We are the treasurers of our homes. We do the budgeting. He's the CFO. He does the big purchases. He does the investing. When that money comes back to us, and as I mentioned, 80% of us die single, not because we want to, but when that money comes back to us, 74% of us have a negative surprise, 74%. On the other side of that toxicity, we're there, oh, I'm not good at this. He's there, oh my gosh, this burden. Society is telling him that he has to care for his family, and that is the core of sort of being a, a strong and good man. And so he labors away. That money comes back to us. We don't have enough. And as I say, and they don't give, you know, student loans for retirement. And so this is a woman's issue. Now, my industry, as we all know, says, oh, it's, you know, it's women's fault. They're risk averse. How do you know they're risk averse? Because they're not buying what we're selling. 
Well, that is one explanation. Another explanation is in an industry where 98% of mutual fund dollars are managed by men, even though the research tells us women are as good or better investors than men, where 99% of investment dollars are managed at companies owned by men, where 86% of financial advisors are men, average age 60, where 90 plus percent of traders are men, you're getting a theme here, right? Maybe they built a business for themselves. Maybe they built a business for themselves. And maybe we could build the business that is centered on women. And, and Caroline, you were kind enough to mention the algorithm. Um, that is an important part of it. Another important part is that we women tend to want to invest for a financial return. We will not give that up, but for an impact return. And so we're at Elevest helping women invest from their first dollar through to multiple millions of dollars. And as women go through up the wealth spectrum and are able to, we have them investing in venture funds run by women, investing in women CEOs, in femtech funds solving healthcare problems for women, in affordable housing fixed up in a sustainable way, rented to women in transition, in climate change because it affects everybody but affects women more. And so we're trying to fundamentally sort of bend the curve here um, and have us investing in each other and supporting each other the way the guys do. Let me leave you with one sort of thought, um, which is that we all grow up in this society. And so we all internalize, if I dare say it, misogyny. And so we turn that upon ourselves. I shouldn't be in, you know, I'm not good at money. I'm not good at math. By the way, none of the articles that the 74% of articles written to us about money that are negative, you know, blame us. None of them say it's the gender, you know, it's not your fault, it's the gender pay gap. But one little anecdote, when we launched, um, we were very unabashedly by women for women. And we had some good, you know, when we put out the first meta ads, we had some good percent say, that's curious, that's interesting, let me take a look. Some portion was, you know, indifferent to it but there was a sizable double-digit percent of women who were negative, who said, how dare you patronize me? How dare you dumb it down? How dare you pink it and shrink it? When they went into the product and they looked at it, they came back out and said, actually, this is more sophisticated than what's out there. There are you know, more ETFs in the asset allocation. There's this interesting impact offering, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we should take a look at this. But one thing of note to me, and I just leave it as a little message, is that not one single woman said it's for women, it must be better. Not one single woman. And so I would ask us all to be aware of the society. You know, we're sort of fish, we swim in the water, and often don't recognize that we take those messages that are given to us both in business and personally and begin to, and continue to perpetuate them because... Well, I know we all talk a lot about being empowered. The last message I'll leave you with is we women are more than 50% of the workforce. We direct 80% of consumer spending. We don't have as much money as men, but we control six to $8 trillion of investable assets. If we decided tomorrow that we were going to all invest for impact, we would starve the companies that are destroying the world and we would feed the companies that are looking to make the world a better place. We don't need to be empowered. We have power. We've just been messaged that we're not ready to step into it. Thank you.
Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Sally. Really appreciate it. Hope you guys can see why I was pretty excited to invest in <laughs> all of us. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks so much, Sally. If you're interested in learning more, please head over to venturefuel.net and you will see lots of information on the Rogue Women event series, as well as how Venture Fuel helps the best organizations in the world innovate to drive change. Please feel free to share this with anyone you think might find it interesting. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>